Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Sometimes Jesus Does Send Us Into the Storm. And we've been learning about the life of faith, and we've been learning about the character of God, and we've been learning about the hope that's found only in Jesus Christ, that our hope is not in a system, and our hope is not in a man, and our hope is not in a gathering, and our hope is not in a bank account, and our hope is not in government. Our hope is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is hope, and through a relationship with him, we find strength and endurance, and he is hope. And yet it's in times like these that our hope is undermined. It's in times like these that we wonder and we start to ask questions. And one of the things that we wonder is why? Why such difficulty? But we're reminded time and time again that all of us face difficulties. That the Christian is not immune to the difficulties of life. The Christian is not immune to tragedy and trial and temptation. And we're learning that things don't always get better. Sometimes they get worse and worse and things compound and they get more difficult. You can jot it down in Acts chapter 27. We have an example of Paul the apostle on a literal ship headed toward the will of God. He is in the will of God on this ship in this storm. And in verses four through eight, listen to how it's described. And I'm just gonna give you the highlights. It says that while he's on this ship, a storm arises and the winds were contrary. And then they sailed slowly many days. And then they arrived with difficulty. Then the wind not permitting them to proceed. And then finally they passed it with difficulty. It was difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. And for our time today, we are going to be using the illustration of storms or the reality of storms as a metaphor and as a type of difficulties and trials. Why? Because the Bible does. You'll recall that in Jesus' teaching in what we commonly call the Sermon on the Mount, he used as the summary this illustration of a man that built his house on the rock and a man that built his house on sand. And he said that in the building of those houses, that each of the houses experienced the same difficulties, the same storms, the same wind, that literally says, beat on that house. One of the houses stayed strong, and one of the houses fell. And we know that it was the house that was built on the rock, the foundation of Christ, the foundation of Jesus that stood the test of storms. But it was the house that was built on sand that wasn't able to withstand the storms. And in that, Jesus gave us the illustration that where you build your life is very important. It's not so important what your house looks and what your life looks. What's so important is where you choose to build it. And you say to me, Ed, how will I know? How do I know? How do I know where I've built my life? How do I know what foundation my life is on? 
And here's the answer. Jesus said, storms reveal. It's the temptations and the trials of life that reveal things to us. You know, oftentimes we'll think that the temptation or the storm, the difficulty, created something in us. For example, you know, you're really irritable right now. And you go, you know, I'm not normally irritable, but if it, was for, if it wasn't for this storm and having to stay at home, then I wouldn't be irritable. That's not so. The irritability has been revealed to you from the trial. The trial didn't create it as much as it revealed it. That, that's a part of your flesh inside of you that's been waiting to come out. He's like, well, you know, I wouldn't have if this difficulty. No, 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 the difficulty. See, storms don't create, they reveal. Storms don't create flesh or a fleshly response. They reveal the fleshly response. And the guy found out that he spent all that time building his life on sand, on, on that shifting sands, maybe of culture, or, you know, the shifting sands of opinion, or... Man, growth and strength and revelation doesn't come overnight. The revelation of God's revealing who we are doesn't come overnight. Growth and strength for the Christian doesn't come through living life smooth sailing. No, they come through trials and tribulations and troubles. You know, there's a lot of Bible promises in the, that, that we don't really like, like 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. How's that for a promise? Just the desire to live godly. How about this one? Acts chapter 14, verse 21. We must through many tribulations enter in to the kingdom of God. How about this? John 16, verse 33. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. How about the psalmist? Many are the afflictions of the righteous. What? But the Lord delivers us out of them all. Those aren't promises that we often uh, cling to. Maybe the second half, but not the first half. And yet they're true nonetheless. It's through these trials that God develops us. And God allows tailor-made storms just for you to make you grow to bring out of you things that would never be brought out before. And today we're reminded that sometimes God sends us into a storm. God sends us into a storm for our good and for his glory. We come to this place in John chapter six now after the feeding of the 5,000. And the, those that receive the food of the 5,000, maybe even 15,000, if the guys there had a wife and one child with them, it could be 15,000. It says in verse 14 of John 6, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who's come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to a mountain by himself alone. And when evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the sea got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. 
there is this charged up expectation that Messiah would come and rule the world politically. You see, the Jews in the first century, the religious rulers, had made the doctrine of salvation into a political statement. First century Israel was ruled by the Romans and ruled with an iron fist. And very naturally, they would want to be brought out from under the Roman rule. And so they projected that upon the Messiah to be a conquering king politically. But they had misunderstood the scriptures that Jesus Christ's rule and reign wasn't, come, wasn't to come to rule politically. The gospel wasn't a political message. It was a heart message that Jesus Christ in his first coming, he came to save the world, to forgive of sin. And they had mistaken that. And here the people saw the miracles and said, he's our man. He's the one that will overthrow Rome. And they were about to take him by force. But he came not as a conquering king, but as a suffering king that first time. He came and was rejected by his own, unfortunately. And in order to save his disciples, his men, he sends them off. And he goes up to a mountain to pray. Now if you're taking notes, this particular part here in John is repeated again in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. Let me just read to you part of Matthew's perspective on this event when he says in verse 22, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone there. Jesus went away to pray, to gain wisdom and insight from the Father, to gain intimacy and connection with the Father. And while he went up alone to pray, he sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, which actually is more like a lake. It's 13 miles by 8 miles wide. And for the most part, it's a very calm, glassy sea. And we've been to Israel many times when it's just super calm, super quiet, and, and glassy and beautiful. But there have been a couple of occasions when we were in Israel, like this last trip, where it was stormy. Where we, got, we were able to get up in the morning, go on our boat ride in the morning, but then they canceled everything later on in the day because the winds picked up. And it was very choppy and high waves and splashing and you just didn't want to be out there. And so the Sea of Galilee's surrounded on some sides of these hills. They call them mountains, but compared to the Rocky Mountains, they're more like hills. And the way the canyons line up, the winds can whip through those canyons and it can be very tumultuous and very difficult. And that's where they are. This wind arose. This wind arose. Winds arise in our lives all of the times. So remember storms and winds, speaking of trials, speaking of difficulties. We appreciate when things are calm, but effectiveness comes to you. Effectiveness and maturity comes to you and me through the storms of life. And there are storms in this life. Collectively, there are times where we share in the storm a lot like what we're doing right now facing great difficulty together. Now, in our lives, storms come in a different way. Trials come in a lot of different ways. Many times, storms come into our lives because of our own sinfulness, our own bad decisions. 
And let's face it, we make a lot of bad decisions. Storms come into our lives through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And it's just our own sinful decisions where we choose to go contrary to what God's revealed will is and we pay the price for it. And we find ourselves under great hardship because of our bad decisions. Storms also come to us because of other people's bad sinful decisions, which is a big bummer at times. You know, people, decisions that we have no control over, the sinfulness of, of people. Storms come from our sin. Storms come from other people's sin. But can I remind you that some storms are from the Lord? Jesus sends his disciples into the middle of the Sea of Galilee. He purposely sends them out. Paul being on that ship in Acts chapter 27 was purposely on that ship. Now let's think of the disciples for a moment. As Jesus goes up to pray and he sends the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, did he know, and I want you to answer this out loud, did he know that the storm was coming, church? Yes, of course he did, he knew. As Jesus sent the disciples across the Sea of Galilee, did he know that they'd be rowing against the storm for hours? Say it out loud, church. Yes, of course he knew. And he sent them anyway. Which always leads to the question, why? That question's on your mind and your heart today. Why? And, and I've summarized it in this phrase. I've summarized it for them and I've summarized it for you and me. Why the storm? Why the difficulty? Why this? Why now? Listen, I believe that the disciples were sent on the Sea of Galilee because of this. They were safer in the will of God in the middle of this outrageous storm than they were safe and secure on the shores of life. You see, it was God's will to be in the midst of that storm. It was God's will. He is redeeming it. He is using it. He is, even to this day, teaching us about our own life here in the 21st century, about storms that we're going through. They were safer in the will of God in the middle of a storm than they were outside of God's will on the shores of life. Which is good to remind us that there are different types of storms that come into our lives. I'll give you just three of them if you're taking notes. Number one, first of all, we face correcting storms. Correcting storms. I think of Jonah. When he was called to preach the gospel, he ran away. And might I just add, there are many people right now running away in the midst of the storm. That God has allowed a situation. God has allowed this in our lives. And your choice is to run away. You're going to give up and run away. And my plea to you is come back. Stop running. You're not running in the way of God's commandments like the Bible says. You're not running the race of faith like Hebrews says. Rather, you're choosing to run away like Jonah. Jonah decided, you know, I don't want to do the will of God. I don't want to preach the gospel. I don't want to be, I'm going to take things into my own hands and run away from God. Well, we know that God had a particular storm for Jonah to get him back on track. A great fish 
was sent to swallow him up and get him back on track. It's a fascinatingly funny story, but probably not so funny for, for Jonah. Sometimes God sends us a correcting storm that actually gets brought upon ourselves because of our sinful actions, and we run away. We run away. According to Psalm 139, you'll never run away from God. And that's just a word from God for you right now. Stop running away and instead run to. Psalm 119 speaks of running in the course of his commandments. Hebrews talks about running the race of faith. Paul talked about that so many different times. Don't find yourself in a correcting storm. Don't find yourself rebelling and rubbing up against. I know many of you are praying for what the Bible calls a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Someone that you taught the love of Jesus Christ to, someone that you ministered to, someone that you raised, but today they're not walking, they're not living, they don't care about the things of God. And what are you praying for? You're praying that God would send a correcting storm into their lives. Maybe even this very current condition that God would send a correcting storm. One that would change the course. One that would turn things around. Secondly, there are perfecting storms. God allows these to come into our lives to teach us a lesson, <clears throat> to train us and to prepare us. Joseph went through a number of storms in his life, setback after setback, difficulty after difficulty, but none of it was the result of his disobedience or wickedness. There's never in the scriptures a, a mention of Joseph. Joseph is experiencing this as the consequence of his sin. I mean, it all started with his brother's throwing him into a pit. But that pit, listen, your pit is part of the will of God for your life. I know it would be hard to describe to Joseph, hey Joseph, you don't understand. But in the midst of your pit right now, God is preparing you and developing you so that not only will you be, not only will you be the second in command for the ruler of the world in Egypt, but you're going to save your family and you're going to keep the lineage for the Messiah to come. Like, like the pit, just stay in the pit, just wait it out. It's going to be a few years, but just wait it out. No way, Joseph's like, get me out. Don't, don't lay out all this, get me out. Get me out. And it was from pit to peril to palace and on and on. But Joseph would... If today, what is God doing in your life right now that's preparing you for what's up ahead? What's God doing right now? Because no matter what Joseph was going through, God was making him into the person. He was perfecting him. We have theological words for this, you know, because when you think of the relationship that you have with God, look, when it comes to salvation, you have these, this three-fold aspect of salvation. Number one, God saved you. And that's the theological word justification. You were saved and born again in a moment of time. Then, secondly, God is saving you. That's the theological term sanctification. That's where a perfecting storm comes in, where you're being changed and formed into the image of Jesus Christ. And then finally, God will save you. That's when you and I are in the presence of Jesus, where we've shed these earthly bodies, and that's the theological word glorification. And we learn these in our study through the book of Romans in very great detail if you want to study later. But see, in this relationship with God, we are living in the sanctification time period where God is changing us and molding us. <clears throat> and one of the biggest tools that he uses is difficulties and trials. 
And then finally, in our time today, I want to remind you about the protecting storms. We have correcting, we have perfecting, and then there are protecting. And this is what the disciples are going through here. A storm designed to keep them from something far worse. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't like this right now. What do you mean keep me some, some, why don't you keep me from this one? What do you mean something far worse? No, no. Protecting storms are used by God to keep us and protect us from something that would surely hurt us, harm us, or destroy us. Sometimes a setback may come, a serious one, a painful one, and it might seem like the hugest, biggest setback in all of your life, but in reality, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Now, at that point right now, uh, maybe I can hear it. I can hear the echo of computers shutting and buttons being pushed and going, I don't want to hear that. But I'm inviting you, please hear me out. It is difficult. I mean, I have to process this Bible study in my own life. You know, actually, this study was put together many years ago. Uh, out of the, it was born out of the deep anguish and grief in my own life. And so I, I know you, you got this situation that's so difficult and so hard, and you're like, don't even tell me that it could be the best thing in my life, because it is the worst thing in my life. Well, let me just say that when the Bible speaks of God working all things together for the good, he doesn't mean all things are good. So that thing, that situation, that loss, that pain, that trial, that, it is bad. And in and of itself, it'll continue to be bad. But out of the bad will be birthed something really good. Out of the bad will be birthed something really powerful and really strong. And so it's not like <clears throat> all of a sudden I've just got to like every bad thing in my life. No, of course not. That doesn't make any sense at all. But we don't want to like every bad thing in our life. We recognize it's bad. And yet God can work it together for good. And so you've got this setback. And every one of us can look back at a time in our lives and think, man, that was hard. That was difficult. I don't know. I don't even know how God, I don't understand what is happening. And I don't want this in my life. But now that you're separated for a few years, you begin to see how God has used it. You begin to see the rough edges being smoothed out. You begin to see how God has used that great setback in your life for his purposes, for his glory, and what a different person you are today. How you see things differently. I see in my own life, uh, in the last seven years, uh, a, a deeper, more, more uh, I don't even know a better word, just like a deeper compassion. Not that I wasn't compassionate before, but I'm way more. I mean, it's one of those things where you go, well, if you ask me, um, if you ask me 10 years ago, are you a compassionate person? And maybe people around me go, yeah, that's pretty compassionate. But now, but now it's different. Why? Because a huge problem, a huge trial, a huge loss, a huge pain, a huge setback, an ongoing battle, an ongoing warfare, God has used to carve a new channel of his character and his nature in me. And I think ultimately that's what we all want. That really is described as the successful Christian life is to reflect Jesus Christ. And we all want that. But there's no shortcut to that. It doesn't happen overnight. God could be using the storm in your life to develop you and bring you to something different. You lose your job, God may have another. You, you find yourself having a relationship broken, well, God may have another person. You, you find yourself in... You wanted this particular service under the Lord, but God said no, but now you're doing this. Why? Because it could be a protecting storm. 
what may seem like a setback today may actually be a springboard to something greater tomorrow. And here are the disciples in the midst of the storm, rowing and rowing for hour after hour. It's getting harder. And what happens? It says when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus. And storms will open our eyes to a reflection of Jesus like never before. And this is our literal, obviously, they're, they're all tired, it's stormy, and the wind, and the water, but they see Jesus through the storm. And that's the key, listen, that's the key. Keep looking for Jesus in the midst of the storm. That's where, wherever Jesus is, that's where ministry is. We're not gonna get back on our heels. We're not gonna be all bummed out. We're not gonna run backwards. We're not gonna run away. We're gonna look for Jesus because where he is, that's where ministry is. You know, when Jesus looks out at Jerusalem, he, his heart breaks over the city. He, his heart breaks for the lost. And so we're gonna look for Jesus, but we're not gonna just look for Jesus. We're gonna invite Jesus into our storm. We're gonna invite him in. Have you done that yet? Ha, have you invited the Lord or are you just so upset? You're mad at what you lost. You're mad at what happened. You were right on the edge. And, and I think of so much that's been lost. So many things that have been taken away and they're outside of our control. And the only thing that we control is our response. And so here he is walking and it says, he said to him, it is I, don't be afraid. Can I speak for a moment of for fear? Just on the topic of fear. I was listening to a well-known Bible study teacher just recently. And he said these almost exact words. He says, fear and faith are mutually exclusive. You can't be fearful when you have faith. And, and while I understand what my brother is saying, and I understand how faith can be eroded through fear, I disagree that fear and faith can exist at the same time. I think they can. And we find a passage of scripture in Psalm 26, verses three and four, where the psalmist says, when I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And so there you go. You're, you're a man, you're a woman, fearful, a fearful person <clears throat> making the choice to trust God. And you know as well as I do, fear just doesn't disappear. Like there's still an issue of wrestling with that emotion, considering the circumstance. But if you follow, I encourage you, that's our memory verse this week, Psalm 26, verses three and four. I encourage you to read through it and see the progression of fear to choice, to the word of God, to peace, to encouragement. But I propose to you that fear and faith can exist together. Although as we feed our faith, God begins to give us a peace and, and even the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear. So we know that fear, although it is a natural response, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live naturally. I don't want to live within my realm. I don't want to live with my own strengths. I want to live supernaturally. I don't want to, yes, fear is a normal, natural response. And you're not a bad believer because you're dealing with the emotion of fear right now. That's true. But God wants to take us beyond the natural. He wants to take us into the supernatural. He wants to take us beyond the normal. He wants to take us into the spiritual realm where we walk in the spirit and we don't fulfill the lusts of our flesh. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And you need to remember that when you're going through a storm in life and you feel like God has abandoned you, he hasn't. Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. And God, 
Jesus Christ let them stay in the storm for a while. He let them stay in the storm for a while. He didn't come to them in the first or the second watch. He came to them later. For hours they were rowing, rowing, rowing. At the break of dawn, Jesus shows up just in the nick of time. And he comes, and I I love this. It says that they willingly, verse 21, received him into the boat, inviting him in. They willingly received him. Before we leave today, would you turn over to Luke chapter 24 with me? Because Jesus, he needs and wants to be invited in your storm, in your problem, and in your difficulty. Jesus, he comes to these two men on the road to Emmaus. You see in Luke 24, if you're there already, that this is the chapter where the resurrection is is spoken of in the beginning of Luke. And then we meet these two guys that give us an insight of the emotion uh, that's surrounding the resurrection. It wasn't all exciting. There was doubts and concerns and sadness. And these guys are on their way home. They're like, it's almost like their attitude is, you know what? All our hopes and dreams are shattered because Jesus is dead and it's over. And notice in verse 13, It says, this is Luke 24. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things that had happened. And so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Sounds pretty familiar to the storm on the water. Jesus draws near. Then he begins to talk to them. Even though it says in verse 16, their their eyes were restrained because they didn't know exactly who he was. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another? And one of those whose name was Cleopas answered, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have not known the things which happen in these days? What things? Then they began to talk about it. And then verse 21, we were hoping that it was he who was gonna redeem Israel. We were hoping he would take over the Roman government. But indeed, besides all this, today's the third day. And as far as they're concerned, he hasn't resurrected yet. And... Certain women of our company arrived at the tomb and astonished us and didn't find his body. And they're all wrestling with it. And it says that certain of those who were with us went to the tomb, verse 25. Jesus says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? And then he begins to give them the word. And isn't there a time, if there was ever a time in our lives where we need more of God's word, where it becomes the central focus of our thinking, where our minds are renewed, it's now. You're not in the word of God because you have to. You're in the word of God because you need to, because you get to, that God is ready to speak to you and to me. He's wanting us to grow in understanding. And the answer to these guys' life, the answer to the issue was to be in the word. In verse 27, it says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, or that word means he taught them. In all the scriptures, things concerning himself. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, here I am, here I am, here I am, here I am. What we would call today the scarlet thread of redemption. How Jesus Christ is in all the books of the Bible. You can see him by type, by picture, all throughout the scriptures. Remember Jesus said in the volume of the book it was written of me and that he came to fulfill the scriptures. So all this is happening on the road to Emmaus. They're kicking cans throwing rocks, bummed out, and as they drew near the village where they were going, he indicated that he would have gone farther, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us. Mark those words, would you? As the disciples invited Jesus into the boat, these guys say, Jesus, would you stay with us? Don't you remember in John chapter 15, Jesus said, abide in me? 
and I in you. And here's where we are. Abide with us. Stay with us. We, we need you. You are the, stay with us. We want to stay with you. And they invite him in. And he stays with them. In verse 30, it came to pass. He sat at the table. He broke bread, blessed it, broke it, gave it to them. Their eyes were opened that they knew him. And then he vanished forever. And check this out. And they said, didn't our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? You see, their hearts burned, but they weren't saved saved till after the word. The word of God is what brings faith. The word of God is what brings salvation. The word of God is what brings hope and reminders of the truth, no matter what's going on in our lives. Listen, storms come to us all. Everyone listening to me right now, facing difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. We're either in one right now, which so many of us are, just coming out of one, or one's just up ahead. But God uses them. God uses them for his purposes. He allows them. And sometimes he'll send them our way. He'll send us out on the sea knowing that it starts out calm and then a great wind arises. And you go, whoa, where, how, why? And then Jesus shows up. He answers those questions. You keep asking them. You keep asking the questions. But please just ask the question toward God. Please turn your attention toward him. If you find yourself in a storm, remember this. Jesus is a gentleman and he won't force himself on anyone. He waits to be invited. If you want to stay in your self-imposed storm, you can. If you want to stay in your lifestyle you've chosen, you can. If you want to continue to reap the consequences of your own sin and not be forgiven, you can. Listen, this is heavy, but listen, hear me out. If you want to go to hell and spend eternity separated from God, you can. But God doesn't want that in your life. As the worship team is coming up, I want to speak to you for a moment about the love of God. Because Jesus, he loves you so much that he doesn't want you to spend eternity apart from him. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But you know, your choice is going to determine your eternity. Jesus doesn't just force himself. You're just not saved against your will. You're not saved like surprisingly. It's a cooperation. You choose to repent of your sins. You choose to respond to the conviction of sin that God has given to you. You choose to respond by surrendering your life. And I want to invite you to do that today. I want, you, I want to invite you, listening on the radio, watching online, both near and far, I want to invite you to turn your life toward Jesus Christ. And you can ask him to forgive you right now. You can pray a prayer. You can talk to God. And you ask him to forgive you. Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I want to help you do that today. And you could say this, God, I admit that I've sinned against you and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to forgive me of my sins. And I dedicate my life to following him from this day forward. And I believe that Jesus would forgive me of my sins 
and save my soul by the blood that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And I'm asking you, God, to help me turn away from my sinful past and to trust you with my life. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer today, God heard you and he receives you. And I'm inviting you to let us know, would you? We've set up a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week prayer line that you can text us and let us know directly. We're not taking phone calls on this line, only texts. So here's the number, 720-336-0897. You can text a prayer request to us. And also, if you responded to the gospel today, the good news that Jesus Christ could save your life, that there could be purpose in the difficulties, then let us know. Because normally, you know, we would be up at the stage here. I'd invite you up. There's pastors and prayer team would pray for you. We'd hand you a packet. We'd ask you to pray. Um, we'd say this is the direction to go. And we would want you to, to really uh, press on to what God has for you. But we're not able to do that right now. So you can go to our website, calvaryco.church. Scroll down to the bottom. There's a tab that says how to know God. And all the information we give away here is available there. And I encourage you, print it out, read through it, because it's not just some prayer. You go, oh, okay, I'm saved. And then you go live your life the same way. God is wanting to radically change your life. And it starts with new, this being born again today. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.